Hello, friends, and welcome to World Build With Us, the podcast where we create fantastical worlds with help from you, our listeners. My name is Rob Hilferty, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Daniel Quinn and Courtney Staples. On today's episode, we are returning to the land of 1,000 seconds after, which was a prompt submitted by Ian, our uh, patron and longtime listener, and also one of the co-hosts of the Under Common Taste podcast. So go check them out when you can. As always, this is the second part of a two-part series, so I would strongly recommend that you go and listen to that first part first, because otherwise you're just going to be pretty lost. So let's make sure that happens. And before we dive right back into the setting, we have to, of course, remind everyone that if you want us to build your world, you can always go to our website, worldbuildwithus.com, where you can click the link, follow the instructions, and within a reasonable amount of time, we'll be building your world. If you want to follow us on social media, we're over on Twitter at Let's World Build. You can go ahead and join our Discord and chat with us more directly by clicking the link in the description or on our website. And of course, if you're feeling particularly generous, you can always give us money over on our Patreon. And with all of that out of the way, let's go ahead and dive right back in. And last time we left off, we had a twist. And the twist was, now raise the stakes even further. And so we've got the, we've got the stakes on the board. Uh, Daniel, grill us up and tell us how you decided to reconcile with this particular twist. I mean, right after Courtney tells us what her twist and reconciliation was for it, of course. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> it's the reversal. Thankfully, it took a while for me to unmute it's myself. The reversal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right. Um, yeah, I felt like the stakes were already pretty big, given that we're in like a magic apocalypse here. But yes, yes. my my thought was that the dragons had actually known what was happening with the magic mm -hmm. die off and were actually accelerating towards it somehow because they were kind of frustrated at how commingled their lives had become with humans or whatever species we decided on having in the setting. Mm -hmm. Oh, so it's, it's a kind of thing where it's like the dragons saw that humans were about to outpace them in terms of magical ability and, or like just power. And so in order to preserve their power dynamic of relative equality that they like, were like, all right, let's accelerate this and force them to not have magic anymore. Something like that. Something like that. Like they, cause last time we had talked about, um, they had the deal with the humans to like not right. you know, eat them. And I would imagine that these enormously powerful, massive, uh, what was it? 10 dragons that we decided to go with right. over time, probably grow annoyed at their their positioning that they had almost become like subservient to humans and that they had right, to like right. obey these things. And it was just like, you know what? Fuck it. We're going to mm -hmm. become accelerationists and uh, bring ourselves to this other world so we can just devour everybody again. Yeah. I mean, that so, makes sense. You no, know, it absolutely <laughs> makes sense. I agree. Mm -hmm. And Courtney, this actually reminds me that we have a very important addendum to make uh, our unit of measurement, which last time we decided was Christian Bale. Oh, we yes. realized afterwards that we were misremembering, and it is actually Matthew McConaughey, Matty Max, as he's also known in our circle. Mm -hmm. So we're going to have to convert the Christian Bale to Matty Max system. So Matthew McConaughey's is our current system of measurement. I think they're roughly the same size, so it's not too yeah. much of, of an adjustment. But I wanted to clarify 
before we started to get angry emails. And I'm sure that we've already gotten some. So uh, let me call up Bard from Google oh and see if they can, if they can get it wrong in terms of the, the <laughs> conversion rate from McConaughey's <laughs> to Christian Bale. And tell me yeah. it's possible. Yeah, I did look it up. And Christian Bale and Matthew McConaughey are roughly the same height and weight. So we, we were mm-hmm. pretty close. But it right. is important to get these facts right here. Absolutely. Did you use Bard, Courtney? I did not for that comparison because Bard is a useless piece of trash. And uh, honestly, like I, I would recommend people check it out just for how bad it is. Like it is fucking terrible. Like if you just ask it like a, a word based math problem, it just completely fucks it up. It's impressive. I, I'm impressed with that Google. Has math diarrhea. Math diarrhea. Oh, no, thank you. Okay. Anyway. So there is one important thing, right? So like the height, okay, that's not going to change. But in terms of mass, I actually think that there's a greater fluctuation here between the Matthew McConaughey system and the Christian Bale system, depending on the role, because we've seen him, we've seen Christian Bale, like really go from the machinist to Batman. And so, you know, you got to be careful. And then of course, vice, right? Like there's, Mm. there's the whole spectrum of Christian Bale density. So be very careful when you're using that measurement system. I just want to toss it out there. That is true. Yeah. 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 Both of them actually, I think, have fluctuated pretty dramatically. But I, I oh, agree. Yeah. Christian... Uh, Dallas Buyers Club. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Okay. But yeah. Christian Bale has definitely swung further, I would say. I think, I think that's my point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 All right. So <laughs> we've got, <laughs> we've got these dragons who are the reason behind this kind of accelerationism, or at least partially behind this. I'd like to jump in here and kind of get mine out of here because I have very little interest in destroying the world or both worlds or involving some kind of a universal calamity or something like that. I'm simply less interested in talking about that for exactly the reason that Courtney uh, brought up is that we're already in a post-apocalypse, right? So what I'm interested in talking about is how can we raise the stakes if we're not destroying the world? Well, in a high magic fantasy setting what's the second best thing that we can do and that is of course destroy magic itself so i'm going to suggest here that there is a potential not a certainty but there is a potential that this uh fucking with of the magic and stuff like that can lead to and potentially will lead to the destruction the death of all magic Mm, i see like across all worlds or both worlds across both worlds is what i yeah. had in mind yes yeah. that kind of can work perfectly with what i was thinking of too or at least could be the result of it you know <laughs> <laughs> well well, what do you got that sounds like an excellent segue i mean my my idea was just very basic because it seems that's what the setting is suggesting fundamentally is that um we have a, a decoupling and maybe the potential fear is a recoupling. That's what the dragons seem to be interested in, or at least they move themselves over. Mm. Maybe it's not the dragon's plan for this to happen, but maybe the merging of the remerging of the two worlds, the merging of all the doppelgangers, which maybe doesn't have to happen as part of the story, but is on the horizon, would in effect get rid of the dragons by destroying all magic permanently. Mm, I see, yeah. Okay, so what we're looking at in terms of stakes is the death of all dragons as well through this merging of the two worlds. And it would also mean sacrificing your individual identities to become one with every doppelganger, like with your other. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that at all. That's gross. <laughs> I hate that. Yeah. To be a new person, basically. So everyone dies. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> well, what happens if your doppelganger's dead on the other side? 
you just die like you just immediately like question. you have a half death it's a good question i don't um i guess maybe you um there's a number of ways we go one way is like their living self and you are now merged as a new person because what do you do with the like the dead that's a good question mm-hmm. yeah no that's kind of interesting though i sort of like the idea that if the other side is dead you retain yourself fully because that adds in a yeah. lot of Conflict. potential for conflict yeah exactly yeah exactly i i was gonna say the exact same thing courtney i'm right that there would be you. cool yeah so you could also have them completely unique like the other said dead then there's no coupling mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i also like to imagine that there is definitely uh some unfortunate couplings or re remergings or something like that because i'm thinking like everyone's going to like perfectly merge back together into a single individual body and meanwhile there's going to be some poor fucks who are just like whipped it's like they have like arms that are like they're just slightly off, so they'll have like seven fingers on each hand, but they're all like off slightly. Like it's not a perfect merging. It's not a mirror to mirror. It's more like oh no, we done fucked up just a little bit, you know. So you also could imagine it as a possible actual physical literal merging. That's that's exactly what I had in mind. Yes, uh, sir. I was just picturing yeah. the personality, the mind aspect, but yeah, yeah, right. But like that would imply that like there's a body that's canon right like there's a singular body oh i did say a potentially new person but um, i do like the idea of a physical literal merging because then what that could mean is what's happening is the two physical realities are overlaying on each other right which could also cause massive destruction yeah potentially yeah like what would that do to like land masses and and the environment and everything (laughs) oh no a lot of horrible (laughs) things so oh, if we want to cook oh, that no. way out. That could certainly work. Okay, th- this would imply, of course, that well, we've we've actually kind of talked about this as well. This would imply that there are mirrors to animal and stuff like that as well, right? Oh, this is immensely complicated now that I think about it because oh, like we established that it's only the human sentient race that is doubled. So I mean, oh, we okay, could good, go the route good. of like the things in the world aren't double, but we know that that is already true because they have a reality there. So, so if we want to go the physical route, you know, you could have massive destruction mm. as the two physical places merge. So, like, if a building is not in the same location or is, I guess, like, not in the same, you know, they would screw things up. Um, that might be too much. Mm-hmm. Or, or the converging could just involve the dragons as it does, the way it currently does, and the mm. double people. I think that makes more sense, only because I'm not sure how to. You would have destruction of pretty much everything if you merge in two places. Right, right. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, if we looked at it in terms of like, oh, the atoms are merging together. Like, I'm pretty sure that's how atom bombs work. <laughs> so, so it would result in a total apocalypse. So it's just like there's too many things that would not be in alignment. You know? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Okay, makes sense. Interesting. Oh, oh, okay, okay, okay. Here, I think here is how we reconcile it: is Whichever world the dragons are on is the world that people get merged oh, to. Yeah. Oh. So they're like an anchor point for everything. Mm-hmm. So that makes it easier. So, you know, and then and then obviously what ends up happening is that the access to that secondary world gets cut off entirely. Right? Yeah. So since the dragons are now on the world that was not magical. Right. But now has magic. Is everything going to start shifting that way? Well, yeah, maybe. we go there because that's where the dragons are. Yeah. Yeah. Potentially. But then what the magic dies, those dragons would also die because that's the idea. Yeah. Right. 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 I, this is this is a, a level of minutia that I think we should probably wait to talk about mm-hmm. a little bit more. But mm-hmm. like we got the grand scale stuff, which is, is very important, obviously. Mm-hmm. But like we, I think we can focus on 
you know, like, well, actually, we've reconciled the twist. So I guess we move yeah. right into factions now. Well, and stakes wise, too, like if we're going to say the magic guys, that other reality ceases to exist because we're merging them together. Right. Oh, because the only way to get from reality to reality is through magic. So once magic right. is dead. Yeah. OK, yeah, I'm down. Uh, yeah, yeah. 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 So whether right. whether we want to visualize it as the other reality is permanently inaccessible or it's, it's destroyed, the point is it's impossible to get mm. to now because there is no magic. Oh, man. And now I'm just thinking, OK, I know this is like two months into this post-apocalypse, but I'm thinking like far into the future, far into the post-merge situation where there are people who are convinced that their significant other or people who they loved aren't actually the people who got transferred over. And so mm -hmm. they're desperately trying to create a, uh, a portal back to that magic world, you know, something like that. Using science. Using whatever means possible. Yeah. Because they're like, mm -hmm. I know that my, like the person who says they're my wife, isn't my wife. And I need to get back to see my wife who is still stuck in that reality. You know, it's, it's a matter of like they believe that their loved ones are still stuck in another reality. Because, I mean, like, think about all the crazy people who are like are flat earthers or who believe in like hollow earth and holographic moons and stuff like that. Like, yeah. you know that there's going to be a small but vocal minority of people. And there's going to be at least one really rich person who's like, we got to get back to the other world, you know, like something like that. I don't know. I just think I, I find that kind of narrative to be kind of compelling, but for the inevitable sequel. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> for the right. For when we when we get to the post merge situation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's something too to keep in mind with like the idea of the vocal minority is that there isn't really a method of mass communication anymore. Yeah. Uh, right. In the current. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll see how that works out post merge. Okay. Right. You got a Pony Express going on. <laughs> well, I mean, we we never really established the level of technology that the magic less world has, right? Yeah. So anyway, we got we got to get into factions, y'all. We got we gotta move into this is my most inelegant transfer over yet. But okay, we have factions. Let's talk about them. So, Daniel, what's your faction? How are we talking about it? I'm just gonna wait and confirm that I'm actually going first. <laughs> Daniel, you're taking too long, Courtney. <laughs> Daniel, hurry up. Daniel, could you uh could you please proceed? Why don't you go, Courtney? Since I currently have the mic. Ha! Son of a bitch. <laughs> anyway, Daniel, are you uh are you gonna go or are you just gonna do this all day? Or? I'm, gonna, I'm gonna let Courtney go. Look, this is what happens. Look, I I, 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 I reverse go. Uno Daniel one time and he's holding the goddamn podcast hostage. This is ridiculous. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Fine, I'll go first. Fuck right. you. Don't care. You never get to, right. yeah. Well, you should. All right, so my faction, right? Okay, here's what I'm thinking. I, I was really attracted to this idea that there is a faction, whether it be a country or a big group of people, who are holding things together. They, like, immediately recognized that this was a massive problem and sprang into action to maintain order and, like, a relative safety, right? And... I also find it really attractive to think about this idea as something that is, oh, they are barely maintaining order as well, right? But they're also like, they're still pushing things in a good direction, but at the same time, they're like, we're barely holding it together, man. Like the threats of the world around us are so extensive that we've got it for now, but we don't know how long we've got it. You know, like that's what mm -hmm. I'm interested in. And of course I had to reconcile, I'm like, well, how... 
how and why is this particular faction like kind of maintaining control, right? Like the world as we know it blinks out of existence. We're 700 years in the past. So how and who are these people? I'm thinking that these people, this group, whether it be, again, it's a country or whatever, that these were the people who, instead of relying on magic to tame the monsters, there, there's a tradition, whether it be cultural or maybe it's historic, where they wanted to learn how to tame and handle the monsters without magic, right? I, I'm thinking about people who, even today, they are learning you know, how to fight with swords and spears and stuff like that. People like Scalagrim or people like uh, Shadowversary and stuff like that. These are like YouTubers who still want to learn how to use the ancient, you know, like I want to fight with a long sword, right? It's, it's folks like them, but magnified to a level where it's a cultural thing. It is a culture that has decided not to use magic, right? It's, and, and obviously they were still using magic in some cases, you know, protection or what have you. Mm-hmm. But what I'm mostly interested in is that something about their culture allowed them to tame the monsters without using that magic. And so now these people are using the monsters as mounts, as beasts of burden, as, you know, like potentially self-defense or something like that. But effectively, it gives them a massive uh, boost or a massive advantage in all sorts of ways once the magic goes away. So there's my faction, uh, whatever you want to call it. I'm going to call it a nation state for the time being. But yeah, that's what I got. They're the uh, magic Amish or anti-magic Amish. Uh-huh. Well, see, that's the thing. Like, they're not entirely, uh-huh. it's not like they've, uh, you know, like renounced right. The, right. like magic entirely. It's just like with this one specific aspect of their culture, they're like, you know what? We kind of like the connection that we get with monsters when we tame them by mm-hmm. hand. So we're going to maintain this culture. They're like the beast masters. Kind of. Yeah. What do you imagine their um their culture looks like? Because like first thing I'm obviously picturing is that video game that you guys showed me once, or that I think Rob plays the monsters. Oh, Monster Hunter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so honestly, I did admittedly have a little bit of Monster Hunter in mm-hmm. my head, and I'm like, okay, well, we mix that with high fantasy a little bit, and I think that gets us halfway there, you know. But again, I'm I'm open to many ideas. Some more like connected to the land kind of deal, making use of the monsters parts as part of their like all the aspects of their culture. I, I think that we'd eventually get there, but again, it's only been two months since the apocalypse happened. Yeah. Oh, because they only recently existed. It's not like they've always been there, is what you're saying. No, no, no. I'm suggesting that this culture has always existed. Okay, right? that's what I thought. So what was once a very small part of their culture, like Think of it kind of like this, right? Other countries would look at this country and be like, oh, it's so quaint. And it's so interesting that they still, you know, like tame monsters without me using magic, right? Again, I think spending time in Kansas has also showed me like, hey, rodeo and agriculture is still very much a part of the culture, even though like in Boston, like that stuff is seen as like quaint and like kind of antiquated, right? But I, I think that there's a mixture going on here in my head when I think about this, where all of a sudden a skill that was looked at perhaps with derision before is suddenly seen as very important or at least very advantageous. So I was asking though, like this culture has existed prior in the magic society or separate from it. Oh yes. Yeah. No, well, not even separate, not even separate. They're, they're integrated into that magic world. Absolutely. Right. So are yeah. they like, are they like an Aboriginal group that's outside of like the normal nations or is just like one of the, it's like North Korea. Just, it's just there. <laughs> 
<laughs> people no. people are just like look at these weirdos like kansas oh uh, well yeah i i think okay. it's i think it's like that they're like oh wow like hey Got they're it. they're using magic like us but they don't use magic to tame their monsters what you know like that's I in my brain that's what i'm thinking so in, in the absence of magic in the world their practices actually will still work because they understand how to tame the beasts exactly yeah. exactly yeah. Because there's something that they found satisfying or culturally important. There might even be a ritual attached to it. You know, if there's like religious significance to it where like, hey, everything else is covered by magic except this one facet of our uh, society, you know, which is still done by hand, which is still done without the aid of magic. And it's still mm -hmm. technology that's 700 years old, but they haven't needed to adapt it much more because of the use of magic or something like that. They might be really important in because we had mentioned before that some of the doppelganger people coming over who are also forms of survivalists who understand the old mm -hmm. technology because that's their normal, that they might be have villainous intent. So it might be a good thing that these people come from the current mm -hmm. society and in a way are whether they look down on, they're still not enemies to the present society. Mm -hmm. So they may be the right. ones to help defend against whatever nefarious intent the other yeah have. yeah that's partially that's another reason i was kind of interested in going this direction as well because i didn't want all of the power to be in the hands of the the migrants from the other world just because mm -hmm. it's like you know like that's an interesting thing where it's like oh we have to make sure that people adapt and there's conflict surrounding it but also like just just in the modern world like there's people who care about old shit and care about doing things the old way and I'm like, yeah, why not bring a little bit of that into our magical world, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It also, I do wonder how um, this culture will interact with all those monsters that have been newly freed from their magical bounds. Oh, yeah. Which yeah, that's... I, yeah, I imagine those ones are much more feral and less, <laughs> uh, less open to being tamed. I was actually thinking about this while kind of running through the idea and this idea that we've effectively like domesticated several breeds of animals. Right. And I imagine that after 500 ish years, like, or let's give the full 700, right? 700 years of fully relying on magic to domesticate their animals, that the breeds of animals are no longer used to being domesticated. It is a reliance on magic that keeps them domesticated mm -hmm. so the things that we think are like oh look it's a cute cow is actually a fucking vicious killer once it gets undominated by the magic <laughs> yeah it's like if instead of actually taming stuff you just like put a muzzle on something exactly or just like you put a mind control collar on it right yeah, yeah. and so it's like it's never actually tamed and then when the magic goes away it's like and mind you i'm thinking about this in like the worst slash most <laughs> comedic possible beat you know where it's like you're like a father at a petting zoo you're like, oh, go hang out with the Velociraptors, Charlie. <laughs> and then you like turn around and like the magic goes away. It's like, Charlie, no! Like immediately, just like <laughs> the the worst and funniest thing that in, <laughs> that in my brain happens. But yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm thinking. That that actually would make sense if they are so used to having magic to control stuff that they would have these like Jurassic Park style sanctuaries for these monsters. Yeah. Oh man, it's been yeah, totally safe to go through all this time, oh, walk through no. and see oh, the. No see the t-rexes and the saber-tooth tigers and yeah and all that yep. and 
It's like in the middle of a city. Like, <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, a hundred percent. You're so right. Uh-huh. Like, you, you just have open air zoos because you know, like, why does that matter? You know, we have magic. Oh yeah. Once yeah. the domination oh, no. magic fades because they've been mind controlling these poor animals to mm-hmm. obey them for so long. Yeah, animals are just like mm-hmm. I'm going to rip your face off now. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. It's like I remember you. You were the one who kept poking me with a stick, and now kept you're putting me in that stupid outfit. <laughs> no. <laughs> Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, that's my faction. Uh, I thought about them a little bit and uh, that's what I got. So what do you guys got? Mine also has to do with older technology, I guess. Um, Cause last time we talked about how, you know, the 700 plus mm-hmm. years of magic tech had been lost and how texts and records predating those centuries would probably be pretty illegible to modern people mm-hmm. in this world. Uh, so I wanted to bring in a faction of scribes and researchers and basically like nerds who are seeking out the old knowledge and are trying to translate it for the betterment of everybody. And since we're just two months after the incident, I think they're still in their early stages, um, but they're actively hunting for, you know, ancient libraries and ruins that might contain mm. any of that information. That That is kind of interesting, you know, like, when preservation becomes like very important, you know, kind of like mm-hmm. how the Library of Congress has every book that's ever been printed. And it's like, yeah, we don't really care, but, you know, it's it needs to be done. We don't want lost knowledge or anything like that. Yeah. And like similar to how the monsters were controlled by magic, I could see people also getting complacent with the preservation of knowledge, like mm-hmm. after, you know, 400 years just being like well you know we've got magic now we don't really need to keep keep all this stuff in like paper format anymore right so over time i think a lot would have been very lost mm-hmm. and the rules associated with it as well oh yeah i mean there there are massive like pushes to digitize all of the libraries that we have which is like yeah that's valuable and that's a good thing to have so make sure that everyone has digital access to mm-hmm. whatever book they want however uh, on the flip side of that, of course, I, I do feel as though, like, maybe we should have some paper copies, too, just in case, you know, like that kind of thing. Yeah, just just back up. That's always been a big problem with with archivals is like mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of the formats that we do have, the physical formats for data. Um, we don't even know how long it will truly last. Like there's a video format that's meant to last like a thousand years, but it's only mm-hmm. been experimentally tested. So mm-hmm. it's like we don't even know, like yeah. some, some CDs and DVDs and stuff we have will fail within like yeah. 15, 20 years, potentially. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's actually a thing that's going on with um, video games right now, that there are video games that have already started to decay and experience wear and tear just through age because mm-hmm. the technology wasn't necessarily supposed to last 30 plus years, you know? And I think that's something that's really interesting to consider, you know, like we have PlayStation games that are 30 years old that are like starting to not be able to be used fully. And and same goes with the technology that uses it, obviously. But like it's very important to make sure that this gets preserved and switched over to a format that is readily accessible. And of course, maybe people stop preserving things just as well in these libraries, you know, because it's like, oh, we got magic. It's fine, you know. And it's also like maybe very expensive to maintain preservation or something like that, or maybe taxing or something. This takes up a lot of space after a while. Like you get these massive warehouses full of paper information and Mm. like there's the risk of, you know, 
that being physically destroyed, like in a fire or, mm-hmm. or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. For example, oh, yeah. if, if magic were to disappear and all of the safety measures protecting those things were to disappear as well. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> why did we have fire elementals be our guardians <laughs> in these places? No. This is a terrible oh idea. <laughs> I can see this also setting being, you can do probably flavor it as a absurdist Harry Potter kind of situation gone dark. Mm-hmm. You know, where like yeah. it's all like happy and fun wizard time in the Harry Potter <laughs> world, and then everything goes to shit. And it becomes mm-hmm. this grueling apocalypse yeah. where Harry's like, Don't die on me, Hermione. I don't know. I don't have read the books, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we were talking last time about how, you know, the the dumb like Harry Potter thing of wizards used to like make their poop, poop disappear. The they just yeah. like pooped into their pants and made it disappear, and like how that might be happening now, where it's like Wait a second. Why isn't this leaving my pants? Like, There's why no I... toilets. <laughs> no. They don't have toilets. They never bothered to install them anywhere. No. Okay. 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 As funny as this is, I would like to avoid this if at all possible. Yes. I mean, like, okay, we're we're gonna have an alt episode where we talk about all the ridiculous shit that could happen with that. But like for the time being, let's pivot over to Daniel's faction. Oh, I was just mentioning that as like an absurd version. Oh, I know. I know. I know. <laughs> I, I always appreciate a good aside. Trust me. I'm just thinking, I'm like, please, let's not let's not go too far into poop wizarding, please. As an aside as well, it would be fun sometime to do an episode where we revisit stuff, but like make it go the opposite genre or like opposite vibe or something. <sighs> Courtney, that would destroy your soul. How are you going to turn like so many dark settings into fun? Like, ooh. No, I just have to find the fun ones and turn those into horrible apocalypses. Yeah, Courtney just finds nothing but the light ones. It's like, yeah. all right, guys, time to paint it black. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. Um, yeah, Daniel, hit us with your faction, sir. What do you got for us? Um, so this one I haven't really super fleshed out because I was just leaving it open. But the idea was that there is a dragon cult, the ones who are closest to the dragons, mm-hmm. like humans that ordinarily would have um, been... Not their servants, but their closest like circle that that they've kind of given themselves over to the service of the dragons as part of almost like a cultural exchange in a sense. And one of the things that they secretly studied is the duality between this world and the other one. Mm. And with their disappearance of the dragons, that the dragon cult people, um, some of them, you know, eventually become what's the term when you sympathize with your captor. Uh, Stockholm syndrome. Yeah, like some of them have that feeling and want to cross over and figure out where the dragons are, what's going up. Mm-hmm. But others want to use the knowledge, understanding what the dragons actually intended, which is helpful that Courtney has established that they have a larger plot. Um, mm-hmm. Want to use what the dragons Agreed. have um, have been secretly making them study to give that knowledge to the people that are on the mm. side and possibly their doppelgangers because the knowledge to me is going to be a kind of transfer of knowledge that allows them to understand the way they're bonded to, to surface the skills that belong to the original self. So not really a magical thing, but more of like this weird, um, I mean, I guess it's kind of like a magical thing, but the way that it would work is that the magic can't come from the people on the side. It has to come from them finding their other. And when they're together, they're able to, these these, uh, dragon cultists serve as kind of like watchers from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Like they're able to reveal in the two an inner understanding of themselves. Are these people who have already been merged, essentially? Maybe like, oh, that is 
what makes them distinct. That might be kind of cool. Maybe they were able to surface like their past memories from the other mm. self or by with communion with the dragons. And that's the gift they were given in exchange for remaining in their service. Mm. Or or it could have been like the dragons were almost experimenting on them to Ooh. figure out how oh, that transfer yeah. worked between worlds. Like oh that. yeah, they're prototypes for yeah. the merging. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I like that too. Yeah, I, I want yeah. that other to be an aspect of willingness. So maybe it's like they phrased it in a way that was actually like underhanded. What this yeah. this grand experiment in exchanging mm-hmm. knowledge with the dragons, really what it is, is they're testing how they can make this merger happen. I yeah, I like the idea that it starts out as like maybe an ambassadorship program, kind of like right. what you're talking about. And then eventually you get the one person who effectively takes control of the organization and turns mm-hmm. it into a dragon cult, you know, mm-hmm. where it's like on the surface, yes, it is still like an ambassadorship program. We're still doing yes. a cultural and arcane exchange with these dragons. But like what's ended up happening is the leader has, you know, like made a coup and made a pact with the dragons that like it's a secret cult underneath it. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like a good percent of them, maybe the majority of them, are so far gone that they truly worship the dragons and they want to go back and assist but there's a few who have broken away from them after the disaster and want to to get this information to the pairs of humans you know Mm -hmm. Mm. i like that it was actually uh my initial idea for a faction was a a dragon cult but i i figured that my uh reconciliation of the twist was already dragon focused so i went (laughs) the other way but but i'm glad that you uh brought this i mean it can mm-hmm. work with your faction you did introduce because I bet mm-hmm. having to confer with these archivists might be critical to getting everything to work. You know? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it all works. And, and the beast guys too, because these mm-hmm. guys are, they're kind of, their hands are clean in a sense. And so perhaps, you know, it's its safer to talk with these other two factions than it is to go directly. Like they need to remain hidden because the dragons mm-hmm. clearly have agents that are working for them <laughs> that are coming mm-hmm. through from the other side. Yeah. I could also see like the the communication issue that we talked about before, like these factions kind of grouping together would help with that. Like, you know, the people, the dragon cultists who are trying to get this information out need the help of the archivists to to figure out the language aspect yes. and all that. Mm. And then Rob's beast beast masters, like maybe they have like uh, flying that. flying creatures that can transport them very quickly from one point to another. They know how to fight the dragon. Yeah. Ooh. In the end. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you you had mentioned like a Pony Express and it's like, mm-hmm. I think that's a big part of it as well. It's like yeah, the ability yeah. to move via like these monsters is remarkably important. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So yeah, sure. We can we can make all that happen. We've got a little coalition going here. You yeah. have a freaking party <laughs> members. That's if you're going to build your RPG group. <laughs> I mean, Daniel, yeah. what do we do at the end of these two parters? We create uh-huh. a main story quest and look, we've already got that. Like we've, if that? I'm thinking like OSR archetypes, you've got like the survivalist doppelganger from the other side, dragon cultist, archivist, um, and then like dethroned magician, I guess. Dethroned <laughs> magician. <laughs> dethroned magician oh, you know what yeah, i mean okay. like the yeah. the bumbling um face to the party i guess who doesn't really contribute anything but they're really good political maneuverers he's still figuring out how to poop without a wall <laughs> yes. <Like, Yeah. laughs> okay so yeah we can have comic relief all right got it 
And then what about uh what about the Beastmaster? We need one of those in there well, too. Well, obviously right? the Beastmaster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did I list them? If I did list them, they've got to be one of them. The absence hurt me, Daniel. That's why I, I, in my head I was like, <laughs> they were the first three in my head, like Archivist, <laughs> the Beastmasters. I should list them. <laughs> well, because they're they're also an interesting combo because they're both but they can be portrayed as mighty, but they can also be portrayed as very um wise because of the knowledge that they hold, right? Or combination. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cool. This is good. I'm 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 liking this. Okay, so Speaking of the main story quest, do we want to get into that? Or did we already make it already? What are you thinking? I guess we could better define like what exactly their their end goal is. Well, I think that what we're discussing here, because it's just happened, I think that if we immediately jump to the merging, then we're missing a good story, you yeah. know? So mm-hmm. I think that whatever quest that we actually design, like we should probably design it so it, it makes sense in the right now like we're not making waves in the next like multiverse we want to make sure that we can make it through the next month right Mm -hmm. and that's that's the kind of story that i'd be more interested in kind of working through Mm -hmm. yeah the merging is like far off so it seems like something yeah something local that could happen even if it's super small scale you know right where we can slip a dragon in there (laughs) yeah yeah and and maybe the merging too is like not really something that people fully understand yet. Even like maybe that's right. something that the party will find out as they research and, and go to these ruins and look into things. Okay. So they could have no idea that that's like the end in the future is going to be like the legit apocalypse. Well, I think what you, you just triggered something in my brain here, Courtney, why don't we have it? So the archivists are like, Hey, we need help accessing this particular archive before this natural disaster comes. So it is a ticking clock and you need to get as many, uh, like Beastmasters are involved because of the transportation and also because they're just good to have around. And you need to like dive into the archive, grab the important stuff, like the most important stuff. And that's the adventure is like getting all of this knowledge out before a flood or an earthquake or a storm that they know is on the horizon comes in, something like that. It's immediate. It is beneficial mm-hmm. to like society and the ticking clock element. Like, what, what do y'all think about something like that? I do like that idea. The idea of like, you know, having this really immediate thing, this immediate danger that they need to resolve and they all need to come together mm-hmm. to work together to do it. I think that could definitely work. To do a combo too of like monster slash natural disaster. So yeah. it's not like yeah. there's a villain, but we can insert the villain in the shadows doing something else that leads on to another plot that would be their next mm-hmm. problem. Mm-hmm. Oh, we we did have okay. We I know we joked about the open air zoos, but that could be like a legitimate like threat. In <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be hilarious. Yeah, but also terrifying. Because yeah, you know, oh my god, it's like Jurassic Park. So I was just watching. Yeah, yeah. that's what I said before. Yeah. Well, no, no. I mean, like, I'm just. I was. I mean that not to say that I ignored what you guys are no, saying. No, 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 no. Daniel just like tunes out when he's not speaking. Like, <laughs> no, I, I, I said that because I just watched um, the show called the the movies that made us. I think it's called. And oh, one yeah. of the episodes is Jurassic Park, and it was just making me think of that. You know that, that we're actually doing it. You yeah. know, like. And the, the, the making mm-hmm. of it. And then it's like, if you're thinking of the making of it and also like what they were thinking in terms of the stakes when they set up the mm-hmm. park itself, like that might be really neat. Yeah. Cause like, if you think about it, like Jurassic Park was sort of this prototype park thing and like it was way far away from civilization. But imagine if it had actually succeeded and right. become this hit mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, let's just, you know, put them like in, in New York City. 
in Central Park. That that's, is, that's a Jurassic Park now. <laughs> Courtney, that is almost the exact plot of Jurassic Park 2, except <laughs> it's in uh, L.A. or something like that. So, yeah, you're not you're yeah. not too far off. I, I forgot that that movie existed. I just yeah, that's it fair. out. <laughs> that's fair. I remember in the in the book version, like the T-Rex never gets to like any form of civilization, which makes it a lot mm. better than the horrible things that happened in the actual movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just thought of another idea as well. And I'm, I'm wondering what y'all think about this. So as you know, I'm a big history nerd, right? And there is a great documentary called the rape of Europa, which I find really fascinating because it's all about world war two. And it's all about uh, the Nazis essentially going through all of their conquered territory and stealing as much art as they possibly can. Mm -hmm. And the efforts that they made to conceal that art once they stole it. Right. And kind of the ethical questions about like how to deal with the stolen art and, you know, like how to, you know, give it back and stuff like that. It's, it's a great documentary, but one of my favorite scenes from that is they describe the Blitz entering Paris and how regular everyday people literally dropped their lunch and ran over to the Louvre to make sure that all of that art got taken out of the Louvre in time. So mm -hmm. there is like this immense scramble to preserve culture, to preserve art, to make sure that it doesn't fall into Nazi hands. And like, I think that's also kind of a vibe that I have. And I, I, I didn't realize it until I was just talking about it, but that's kind of the vibe that I have in mind as well, where it's like, there is a desperate, like we need to preserve our culture. We need to preserve this knowledge aspect mm -hmm. of it and having an invading force, whether it be monstrous or natural or what have you, I think is an interesting kind of conceit to talk about it as well. Yeah, and I like that it takes the emphasis off of just pure survival, but more like survival of a culture. And exactly. Survival yeah. of the knowledge. I think it adds like a nice facet to it. Mm -hmm. Especially in like the post-apocalypse where it's all about survival all of mm -hmm. the time. Like humans care more about other things than just survival. And I think that yeah. we kind of yeah. emphasize that a little bit in the first episode. But I think it'd be fun to see how that would play out in a world where it's like, Magic's not coming back, but we want to make sure that we have these culturally important artifacts. Right, Daniel? I think that's great. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel hitting me with the equivalent of like a star sticker, like great job. There you go. <laughs> oh my God. I'm just still thinking about Jurassic Park. <laughs> it's like one of my favorite <laughs> movies <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay all right well okay i think daniel has one good idea here though uh just, whereas, just one just one <laughs> yeah. out of the hundreds of episodes that we've recorded together he's got the one but no seriously i think that we do need some kind of a villain that represents a greater ticking clock or maybe a greater mm -hmm. terror to what's going on because, you know, in the in the example that I gave from uh, the Louvre, there's the Nazis. But what do we have for our villain here that is beyond just a ticking clock of weather? Yeah, like, um, I mean, last time we had talked about how this society has kind of adapted over time to become this more communal, socialist, communist type of thing. Um, and how the other people coming in from the other side were potentially more capitalist based in their uh -huh. culture. Um, so there could be like a power dynamic there, like people on this world aren't used to thinking in terms of like, I have power over X, Y, Z. 
but maybe someone does change to start thinking about that oh, maybe shit. because of the influence of the outside doppelganger okay okay that's great courtney that's really really good i you just sparked an interesting idea in me okay so i had this idea that there's an external threat you know like the nazis coming in what if we're witnessing the uprising of a fascistic regime and the, it's it's almost like a civil war. It's like we've got to mm. get this culture out before that fascist regime takes over and destroys it. You yes. Know, like, yeah. yeah. Especially because of how like fascism and that sort of authoritarian ruling style requires a lack of open knowledge. Like mm -hmm. they stamp out that sort of thing. So that right. would absolutely make sense. Anything that represents not their culture must be mm -hmm. burned. Like look at Kristallnacht, look at mm -hmm. like, I mean, book bannings now and yep. throughout <laughs> history, you know, but like, yeah, that is absolutely something that we can play up where it's like, holy fuck, the fascists are coming. We need to get this out of here as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. And is this, these are, these are people from the other side, right? The other doppelganger. I think, at uh, least I think in it's part. a mixture because yeah. Yeah. Right. Because I imagine that there are people from the other side, but I think there's also a growing number of people who are like, hey, I kind of want to go back to fascism. You know, like there's always those shitty people who are like, I miss having my, you know, like boot on the neck of other people. So like, despite the fact that it's socialist, you know, like now that there's this new kind of like political thought again, mm -hmm. they have converts. And this is an instance where, okay, fascism is taking over in this city. And in order for us to preserve all of the art and all of the history of the city, we need to get the shit out of here. And that falls on ordinary citizens and at least one beast master. Are the, <laughs> the perpetrators from this realm or from the other side? Yes. Both. How I'm envisioning it is like a doppelganger from the other side meets up with their counterpart in oh. this world and is like, oh, you're just like this lowly, like bookkeeper or something in this world mm. like i'm actually a really powerful executive uh, like what are you doing over yeah, here that's we, could, good. we could be so powerful yeah. together and then you have this mm. like almost twin uh aspect of these people working together mm -hmm. to gain uh, power I, I like that yeah, yeah. That, that's really good courtney that's mm -hmm. really really good yeah. so like the the um doppelganger who comes across is kind of like the ayn rand version <laughs> yes, who is exactly. racing elevating Daniel. the potential of of the one on this side mm -hmm. who's a mere socialist you know yeah. impressed by altruism daniel we really need to get you a new author to read at this point like, <laughs> i mean I, I think this is like the third series in a row that you've brought up line well, right. you have to go the quintessential supporter of selfish thought like that's that's her yeah. you know so it's like i could see that ideology saying like your culture of altruism and of sharing the burden of other people's problems is your weakness and i could cure that i can make your life greater mm -hmm. than it ever was and that's kind of what promising yes i i'm in full agreement it's like if elon musk came over and was <laughs> like wait your your dad didn't own an emerald mine filled with slaves like what like, what, what? <laughs> we could we could do this together man what are you doing i know and then he's got like a shitty flamethrower and uh -huh. <laughs> you know so i like that that's what, that's the way i was asking is because it, then it allows both of them to be tainted both sides mm -hmm. like yes yeah it's not that it's a perfect utopia here and it's and you know obviously there it's screwed up too but at least there's like mm -hmm. this overlap and and yeah. one of the questions that I'd raise too is like, okay, what are the good guys from the other side coming? Obviously, we've got the good guys on our side who are some of those other factions. Mm -hmm. I wonder if mm -hmm. like maybe the change of the direction of the dragon cultists, like one of the dragon cultists who had gone over to find the dragons 
was in fact against them and so has returned to help fight against this plot mm. that way you can kind of have mm. them involved too interesting yeah i would like to point out by the way the little brilliance that is having your doppelganger come over see your sorry lot and then corrupt you into fascism <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because what i also think would be interesting if that were to happen and this might be a little bit too obvious but eventually the weaker one the one who is like corrupted by the other one eventually becomes even worse of a fascist than the other one yeah. because it's like oh that means strength and now i'm going to like take that to the logical extreme that you don't have the guts to go to you know like that kind of thing yeah i like that a lot mm. it's almost like this a naive figure learning that they can have all of this uh violent power and just going nuts with it like i actually oh, yeah. just watched a interview with the vampire and in that like Basically, an adult gets converted to vampirism, and then a little later, they convert a literal child to be a vampire. And she is oh, immediately yeah. like, I am so fucking hungry. I want to devour people. I want to like just eat everything. And she's mm -hmm. like kind of monstrous for, for a while. Yeah. Uh, are you watching the series or the movie? Uh, the movie. I didn't realize there was a series, okay. actually. Apparently, there's a series, and it's like full of hardcore gay sex. Oh. And yeah. yeah, that makes Which, sense. Like, I mean, yeah, the movie has so much gay sexual tension, just all. Yeah, but it was made in the like, '90s, so it yeah. was like always like, "All right, get back in the closet," <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, speaking of closets, <laughs> let's go ahead and close the closet door on this particular <laughs> series. <laughs> I'm feeling very happy about how this turned out. It's mm -hmm. very different than what I was expecting when we started. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I think that it's been a whole lot of fun. Again, a big thank you to Ian for this particular prompt. And remember that if you want us to build your world, you can always go to our website, worldbuildwithus.com, where you can click the link, follow the instructions, and within a reasonable amount of time, we'll build your world. If you want to follow us on social media, we're over on Twitter at Let's World Build. You can come join our Discord and chat with us anytime about Jurassic Park or, uh, I don't know, maybe a documentary that I was talking about earlier. That's cool, too. Uh, you can find the link for that in the description of this episode and again on our website. And of course, if you're feeling particularly generous like Ian, you can always go to our Patreon where you can get access to patron-only goodies like patron-only episodes, patron-only Discord channels, and double the length on the worlds that you send us. And with all of that out of the way, that's going to do it for this episode of World Build With Us. Remember that we love you very much. And we're going to get through this together until next week.